If you had to pick key moments when artificial intelligence broke into the public consciousness, then February 2011 would have to be pretty near the top of the list. Why? Well that's when a question answering machine simply known as Watson managed to beat former winners Brad Rutter and Ken Jennings on the TV quiz show Jeopardy. Jennings' quote at the time captured the sense that the world had changed forever. In the final round, in addition to his answer, he wrote, I for one welcome our new computer overlords. At the time, it was probably meant as a joke. I'm Jonathan Seal and this is Living in AI World, where we talk to experts and influencers from different domains about how intelligent machines are reshaping every aspect of our lives in sometimes unexpected ways. From commerce to criminal justice, science to spirituality, welfare to warfare, we are truly living in AI world. I was recently at the Ivy Club in London at an event run by the British Interactive Media Association, BEMA. It was aimed at digital agencies and other companies at that sharp end of bringing machine learning solutions to businesses, whether they're startups or global brands. Afterwards, I managed to grab some time with one of my fellow panelists, Duncan Anderson. Now, if I told you he was the CEO of Humanize AI, you'd be forgiven for not having heard of him yet. But if I told you that until recently he was the chief technical officer of IBM Watson, that same supercomputer solution that had captured the public's imagination, then you'd probably understand why I'd be interested in getting some time with him. In a relatively quiet cafe in Covent Garden, I started by asking him about his route into IBM and the journey he went on with Watson. So it was a fascinating time. Um, I essentially got offered the chance to join Watson uh, pretty early in IBM's journey with the kind of artificial intelligence and setting up the Watson unit. So it was a great time to join and kind of be part of a, a whole new experience. Um, and I started out pretty much before IBM had got onto the path it's on now where they sort of consumerized the access to the technology, if you like. So it's very much a set of cloud-based APIs that it's very easy for anyone to subscribe to. It's very much a self-service environment. When I first joined Watson, it was very much the big supercomputer in the sky and you had to pay several million to be able to get access to it. So I went through that kind of journey when you know, we signed up a whole bunch of customers in the early days and then it became clear that if you really want to scale that kind of business, you need to decompose and go more sort of developer-led and, and uh, appeal to a wider audience. So I went through that kind of journey where we spent a lot of time uh, just decomposing the, the Watson system into a set of cloud-based APIs and then working with the developer community, getting people to adopt those things and seeing what, what kind of systems might be built with those. And it was very much a, a bet and um, we ran hackathons, for example, and it was very much kind of throw the technology out there and see what happens. It must have been a you know, fascinating period of time in, in the company's history to go from what was that sort of behemoth, these multi-million pound systems where it was all about how can we uh, you know, put it into an R&D context, really developing what's possible with AI through to seeing that become something which is almost commodity, almost a, yeah. you know, a, as a service. Yeah. yeah. So that was your sort of experience at IBM. What was it that made you think, right, now there's something, there's something more on the horizon. What was it that made you make the, mm. the move to, especially in the direction that you've now taken the humans? Yeah. Well, I, I guess it, it, it really became clear to me after we decomposed what's into the services. It, just looking at what people were doing with those services, there was this huge focus around conversational systems. 
building bots, building systems where the interface was a conversation. Uh, and that was completely dominating all the things that we were seeing happening. So my interest really kind of focused in on that just because I think because that's where the market was going. And what we saw in the early days was people building these things and it's still quite hard work to train an AI to be really good. And so you, you get an AI system where somebody could have a conversation with it and then they'd ask something you hadn't expected them to ask and the bot would give a stupid answer and the conversation would start going down, downhill rapidly at that point. And we did some early experimentation with could you get the AI system essentially to recognize that it's heading into dodgy waters and to proactively hand over to a human. So essentially the AI escalates the conversation and says, let me get my superior, who happens to be a human in this case, to come and answer your question. And I, I felt that was a really interesting area. And um, we did some early experimentation in, in Watson on that. Um, and essentially, um, myself and a few colleagues decided that this looks such a rich area that why don't we go and do it ourselves and set up a company to, to make that happen? So that's what we did. I mean, it is a fascinating area. I think the way that I've experienced bots today has definitely been that you can have a conversation about a very fixed domain and it can work reasonably yeah. well. Yeah. But as soon as you start to get beyond that, it becomes a very poor experience very quickly. Yeah. And I haven't seen instances where it is able to sort of almost judge that it isn't making good decisions anymore. Yeah. So we, we've built um, what we call a chat management system, which is essentially a if you imagine like a dashboard to, to see all the conversations that are going on with your bot. And as, a, as an agent, you can see those conversations and then you can take over a conversation and say, okay, I don't like the look of this one. I can start typing in, essentially pause the bot and take over as a human. But also we, we've kind of built into, into this that you can build your bot in a way where you can essentially mark up the conversation. So a simple example, you're having a, a conversation on a narrow area that the bot's been trained on. Say this is, I don't know, say it's a telco, for example, and you've got questions about your bill or something, and then um, you get into an area where you want to change your package. It's a kind of complicated conversation at that point, and it's a sales conversation, so probably best you want to get a human involved. So you essentially you mark up the conversation to say, if you get into the sales bit of the conversation, then proactively flag up in, in the humanized dashboard that this is something that a human should take over. And then as an agent in a call center, you'd be looking at our dashboard and you'd see uh, conversations that, that had an escalation mark on them and then you go, okay, right, I'm going to take this one over. And without getting massively into the uh, you know the real technical nuts and bolts of it, you know, what, what are the cues that your bot is looking for, or your AI rather, is looking for in that context to say, it feels like I'm getting into this territory? So all of the AIs, whether they're Watson or, or any other competitors in that space, and they all have a, a confidence score. So when, whenever you're getting a question from a customer, you pass it across to the AI and the AI will, will work out what it thinks is going on and give you a confidence score. So you can look at that confidence score and say, if it's below you know, 0.6 or something, then that's not good enough and therefore I'm going to escalate to a human. But also we're, we're playing with um, emotion analysis. So applying an emotion detection filter to all of the conversations coming in and saying, if I get a conversation where there's a lot of anger going on, that might be another flag where I need a human to take over. So we, we think there's a whole series of different factors which might cause uh, you to want this conversation to be handed over to a human. Yeah, that's an interesting way of, uh, of approaching because I think we we sometimes think in intelligence is about accurately diagnosing the issue, but I think there are 
there are multiple sort of layers to that that if yeah. it's more about how you combine those in an interesting way so yeah. in this case taking the accuracy of understanding the intent plus the sentiment understanding to, to then build that up how close do you think we are to uh, machines being able to successfully combine maybe not just one or two but a series of strands of, of mm. intelligences that then allow it to behave in a much more nuanced way mm. well at the moment, um, it's relatively straightforward. You can you can do some fairly crude analysis just by looking at a confidence score, for example. But the next stage that we're looking at is to then apply a machine learning model where you essentially input everything you can see, confidence scores, emotion scores, the, the, the actual conversation itself, put all that stuff into a machine learning model, and the machine learning model will be able to say, okay, this conversation is one we should have a human take over, or this one's fine. And therefore, that because it's a... Uh, an ML model, it's, it's much more sophisticated in its analysis, whereas where we are today, it's it's a kind of if-then-else, if, then else, if yeah. the confidence score is less than 0.6, then handover. Right? And so we can make it much more sophisticated where it might be a combination of the emotion and the confidence and where you are in the conversational flow. All of these factors lead to a kind of more sophisticated analysis as to which ones should be handed over. And, and what you're finding is the uh, interest, if you like, from, from the market for that, because I can imagine that some people are, have been sold the view, if you like, that this is all about taking volume, taking headcount, if you like, out of the call centre. Yeah. Uh, your perspective, your play, if you like, is how can we make sure we're, we're giving the right mix and the right handover points to talented people who can solve this problem well? Yeah. How is that being received? Really well. Uh, for, for one one very simple reason if you don't have that human in the loop concept that we have then you have a real problem because the AI is essentially going to get to a point where it struggles and then the conversation goes downhill because the user gets irritated and frustrated and it ends up being a failure of the bot whereas in in our kind of situation you can identify that's happening and then you can escalate for a human so it becomes it's a bit like if you if you phone a call center and you speak to a, the first level agent and their skill level isn't good enough to answer your question and then um, they say okay uh, let me get my supervisor to talk to you you see that as a positive experience because the first level agent has got somebody more specialized to help you out same we see the same thing here as the bot is the kind of the first level agent it can answer the simple stuff and we think that when it gets stuck and hands over to a human, that should be a positive experience, not a negative one. So I suppose a little bit more broadly on, on conversational interfaces, because I think you know we're, we're talking about bots, but we also know there's a load of voice-driven um, yep. interfaces. We yep. have seen the rise, uh, not just of the services like Siri and Cortana, but also also those products that are entering your homes. Yep. You know, what's your take on that and where that's going? How do you think that fits in the way that people are going to be interacting, say, in two years' time, five years' time? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, again, we think this is this is huge. Um, things like Alexa and Cortana and Siri, um, there's a huge amount of interest. Um, we've got we've been playing around with both Google Home and Amazon Alexa. Um, essentially, the, we see those as uh, different interfaces onto the same conversation. So uh, we, we've got a, a, an example where we've created a, a bot for a hotel and um, it, the bot's interface is, first of all, it's Facebook Messenger. So you text message the bot um, and then we've put Google Home on top of the same conversation so you can have a voice conversation. And we've marked up the conversation in such a way 
where if the conversation is coming from a text-based interface or a voice-based interface, then the conversation fluctuates slightly. So I might say different things. So for example, in the help part of the dialogue, where you're saying, what can you do for me? If it's a text-based interface, then the conversation will say, you can type things like this. Whereas if it's the Google Home voice interface, it says, you can ask me things like this. But it's essentially the same structure of the conversation, but just with different, different nuances where we mark up the conversation with some XML tags which get interpreted in our pipeline so that the conversation can look slightly different based on what the interface is. Yeah, and I guess uh, it's the same principle as you know, whenever you're delivering content to a channel, you want to be doing something that's relevant for that channel. So, in the case of you know dealing with somebody over SMS, is very different to dealing with someone yeah. over a, over a channel where you can deliver uh, button options that can they can reply exactly. to and so on. So yeah, having yeah. having an AI that's able to intelligently deal with that, you think that this is is definitely heading more towards a conversation driven world. Yeah, it it just seems inevitable that you know I have a, an Amazon Alexa at home and and for the things it does it does it supremely well and I have my Alexa hooked up to my hive central heating so I can just shout at the Alexa hey Alexa can you turn the heating up and it does it and it's just so super convenient and similarly you know, the text-based interfaces and young people my daughter who's a teenager um, she gave me her iPhone a few months ago and asked me to fix something on it. And I noticed she'd taken off the telephone icon on the bottom yeah. because she messages people all the time. She doesn't use the telephone. So it kind of feels that as a society, we're shifting into that conversational mode of, of interaction with the computer rather than the kind of button pressing mode. And so how does that play out both in your business life and your personal life in terms of using AI more and more to, to streamline what we do? We're using those conversational interfaces as a way, as a proxy for us having to do something. It's almost like we're creating a digital version of ourselves that we're, we're looking to sort of go into, out into the digital world and, and do things on our behalf. Do you have systems, do you have AI tools that you use on a regular basis and, and how do they help you? Mm. Well, uh, I, I guess the most, as I just mentioned, that Amazon Alexa um, is the most obvious example of that. But kind of being a bit of a geek in this space, I also have a Google Home device, so my, my, my home is kind of wired up with these things. Do so they not fight each other? Well, actually, there's some interesting YouTube videos where somebody's managed to spoof Siri talking to Amazon Alexa talking to Google Home, and they, they kind of go around in a circle talking to each other. It's, it's worth, worth Googling that one. It's quite fun. But yeah, I think that, that whole being able to shout across the kitchen at a device, turn the heating up, turn the radio on, it, it's simple stuff, but it, it, it works really well. And in the morning we'll say, give me the, the news briefing. And it, it, it's, it's just simpler. It's quicker and easier when actually you're, you're making a toast. You don't want to be playing with a computer and mouse and all the rest of it. You just want to be able to, to ask a question. So for humanized AI, where do you think this is going? Uh, where's the direction of travel? So we think that uh, there's going to be more and more brands that want these kind of conversational interfaces, whether they're text-based or, or voice-based. It feels inevitable to us that this is the direction of travel. And so we, th we think people are going to be building more and more of these. And if, if they don't have something like humanized, which allows this sort of graduation of a conversation between a bot and a human, if that's not part of the solution, then people are going to be disappointed because they're going to get to a stage where the capabilities are exhausted and then they get frustrated. So it, it feels inevitable, but we're still at a very early stage. There's been some backlash against some of the early bots, which were frankly not good enough. And it's, it's very much, I think, that the marketplace at the moment is very much uncertain. 
because pipe cycle, we've reached the peak and we're kind of somewhere after the peak. Towards and we, the trough of despair. Yeah, well, I, I, well hopefully. <laughs> I always think you've got to kind of skip that bit and get to, get to the plateau of uh, enlightenment. But I think with technologies like Human Eyes, they, that gives us, I think, a more balanced perspective on things rather than the kind of hype of AI is going to take over the world and it's going to do everything. We'll probably be dead by the time that happens. I'm sure it will happen at some point, but there's a long way to go. And so, so it's sort of more balanced perspective feels I mean, like that, a way that to is me. an interesting kind of angle on it. I suppose you, you could look at humanized AI and say that's a you know that's a stopgap. It's a it's a way of coping with the fact that you don't yet have bots that are good enough. So we're we're handing over to a human. You could also look at it and say, no, that's because we genuinely believe that the humans always have a role in this because yeah. actually augmentation is a key aspect of it. Where, where do you sort of fall in that line? I think there's an element of both. Um, there's, there's no doubt that we're a convenient stopgap for the, the limitations of current technology. But even when you fast forward uh, to, to where, you, where things might get to, you know, if, if I'm a bank, for example, and um, somebody uh, messages my bot and says, uh, my mother's just died and I need to sort out her estate, it's probably an inappropriate conversation for a bot to have, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Even a really good bot, <laughs> it, it needs a human with empathy who can say, oh, "I'm really sorry about that," and you know, really help somebody through the, the process. So, I, I think there's always going to be a role for humans um, at the kind of empathetic end of the spectrum, the more complex end of the spectrum. I suppose that suggests that you have a fairly optimistic overall view on on, uh, on AI, in that you're you're seeing it as that support. For humans rather than something which is ultimately going to be a, a threat. I mean, you obviously you'll know the the dire predictions of doom that some people will will be coming up with, um, and, and you know some some very smart and, and capable people who, who are extremely worried about this space. I'm very optimistic. I, I struggle a bit with the, some of the the more doom laden predictions. Partly, I think, because I'm quite close to the technology, so I know what's capable today and. We're nowhere close to having technology that we should stress about. It, it's it, in the grand scheme of things, we're, we're not in Star Trek yet, um, and I, I, I think it's going to be a long time before we're at the stage where some of these more sort of ethical considerations about you know, are the computers going to take over the world that that's a long, long way away. I'm positive about the industry and about humans as a race that I think we've got enough time to worry about those kind of things and to work out the kinks and how we use this kind of technology. So when the technology arguably does get to a stage where maybe we might need to worry about it, I think we'll be ready for it by then. Doesn't doesn't seem to me a big, big issue. For me, this insight is both comforting and kind of disappointing. Duncan has built his new business on the basis that our best efforts in artificial intelligence are still going to be way short of the mark, so we'd better figure out ways to hand over to real people when it all goes wrong. It's empowering and depressing in equal measure. I guess at least this way, we're less worried about the robot apocalypse, and more worried about whether the call centre can cope with the number of robots calling in for help. You've been listening to the Living in AI World podcast. Please subscribe and rate us. You can also find us on Twitter. Just search for at Living AI World. The music we're listening to is created by Machine Learning Algorithms at Duke Tech. 
create your own at jukedeck.com. Join me next time when I'm looking at what happens when new technology is informed by old prejudice and meeting two people working to ensure that when we create intelligent machines, they aren't sexist. Thanks for listening. <laughs>